Chapter Twenty Seven of *The Prince and the Pauper*. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. *The Prince and the Pauper* by Mark Twain. Chapter Twenty Seven. In Prison. The cells were all crowded, so the two friends were chained in a large room where persons charged with trifling offences were commonly kept they had company for there were some twenty manacled and fettered prisoners here of both sexes and of varying ages an obscene and noisy gang the king chafed bitterly over the stupendous indignity thus put upon his royalty but hendon was moody and taciturn he was pretty thoroughly bewildered he had come home a jubilant prodigal expecting to find everybody wild with joy over his return and instead had got the cold shoulder and a jail the promise and the fulfilment differed so widely that the effect was stunning he could not decide whether it was most tragic or most grotesque he felt much as a man might who had danced blithely out to enjoy a rainbow and got struck by lightning but gradually his confused and tormenting thoughts settled down into some sort of order and then his mind centred itself upon edith he turned her conduct over and examined it in all lights but he could not make anything satisfactory out of it did she know him or didn't she know him it was a perplexing puzzle and occupied him a long time but he ended finally with the conviction that she did know him and had repudiated him for interested reasons he wanted to load her name with curses now but this name had so long been sacred to him that he found he could not bring his tongue to profane it wrapped in prison blankets of a soiled and tattered condition hendon and the king passed a troubled night for a bribe the jeweller had furnished liquor to some of the prisoners singing of ribald songs fighting shouting and carousing was the natural consequence at last a while after midnight a man attacked a woman and nearly killed her by beating her over the head with his manacles before the jailer could come to the rescue the jailer restored peace by giving the man a sound clubbing about the head and shoulders then the carousing ceased and after that all had an opportunity to sleep who did not mind the annoyance of the moanings and groanings of the two wounded people during the ensuing week the days and nights were of a monotonous sameness as to events men whose faces hendon remembered more or less distinctly came by day to gaze at the impostor and repudiate and insult him and by night the carousing and brawling went on with symmetrical regularity however there was a change of incident at last the jailer brought in an old man and said to him the villain is in this room cast thy old eyes about and see if thou canst say which he is hendon glanced up and experienced a pleasant sensation for the first time since he had been in the jail he said to himself this is blake andrews a servant all his life in my father's family a good honest soul with a right heart in his breast that is formerly but none are true now all are liars this man will know me and will deny me too like the rest the old man gazed around the room glanced at each face in turn and finally said i see none here but paltry knaves scum of the streets which is he the jailer laughed here he said scan this big animal and grant me an opinion the old man approached and looked hendon over long and earnestly 
and then shook his head and said mary this is no hendon nor ever was right thy old eyes are sound yet and i were sir hugh i would take the shabby carl and the jailer finished by lifting himself a tiptoe with an imaginary halter at the same time making a gurgly noise in his throat suggestive of suffocation the old man said vindictively let him bless god and he fare no worse and i had the handling of the villain he should roast or i am no true man the jailer laughed a pleasant hyena laugh and said give him a piece of thy mind old man they all do it thou'lt find it good diversion then he sauntered toward his ante-room and disappeared the old man dropped upon his knees and whispered god be thanked thou'rt come again my master i believed thou wert dead these seven years and lo here thou art alive i knew thee the moment i saw thee and main hard work it was to keep a stony countenance and seem to see none here but tuppany knaves and rubbish of the streets i am old and poor sir miles but say the word and i will go forth and proclaim the truth though i be strangled for it no said hendon thou shalt not it would ruin thee and yet help but little in my cause but i thank thee for thou hast given me back somewhat of my lost faith in my kind the old servant became very valuable to hendon and the king for he dropped in several times a day to abuse the former and always smuggled in a few delicacies to help out the prison bill affair he also furnished the current news hendon reserved the dainties for the king without them his majesty might not have survived for he was not able to eat the coarse and wretched food provided by the jailer andrews was obliged to confine himself to brief visits in order to avoid suspicion but he managed to impart a fair degree of information each time information delivered in a low voice for hendon's benefit and interlarded with insulting epitaphs delivered in a louder voice for the benefit of other hearers so little by little the story of the family came out arthur had been dead six years this loss with the absence of news from hendon impaired the father's health he believed he was going to die and he wished to see hugh and edith settled in life before he passed away but edith begged hard for delay hoping for miles's return then the letter came which brought the news of miles's death the shock prostrated sir richard he believed his end was very near and he and hugh insisted upon the marriage edith begged for and obtained a month's respite then another and finally a third the marriage then took place by the deathbed of sir richard it had not proved a happy one it was whispered about the country that shortly after the nuptials the bride found among her husband's papers several rough and incomplete drafts of the fatal letter and had accused him of precipitating the marriage and sir richard's death too by a wicked forgery tales of cruelty to the lady edith and the servants were to be heard on all hands and since the father's death sir hugh had thrown off all soft disguises and became a pitiless master toward all who in any way depended upon him and his domains for bread there was a bit of andrew's gossip which the king listened to with a lively interest there is a rumour that the king is mad but in charity forbear to say i mentioned it for tis death to speak of it they say his majesty glared at the old man and said the king is not mad good man and thou 
find it to thy advantage to busy thyself with matters that nearer concern thee than this seditious prattle what doth the lad mean said andrews surprised at this brisk assault from such an unexpected quarter hendon gave him a sign and he did not pursue his question but went on with his budget the late king is to be buried at windsor in a day or two the sixteenth of the month and the new king will be crowned at westminster the twentieth methinks they must needs find him first muttered his majesty then added confidently but they will look to that and so also shall i in the name of but the old man got no further a warning sign from hendon checked his remark he resumed the thread of his gossip sir hugh goeth to the coronation and with grand hopes he confidently looketh to come back a peer for he is high in favour with the lord protector what lord protector asked his majesty his grace the duke of somerset what duke of somerset mary there is but one seymour earl of hertford the king asked sharply since when is he a duke and lord protector since the last day of january and prithee who made him so himself and the great council with help of the king his majesty started violently the king he cried what king good sir what king indeed god a mercy what aileth the boy sith we have but one tis not difficult to answer his most sacred majesty king edward the sixth whom god preserve yea and a dear and gracious little urchin he is too and whether he be mad or no and they say he mendeth daily his praises are on all men's lips and i'll bless him likewise and offer prayers that he may be spared to reign long in england for he began humanely with saving the old duke of norfolk's life and now he is bent on destroying the cruelest of the laws that harry and oppress the people the news struck his majesty dumb with amazement and plunged him into so deep and dismal a reverie that he heard no more of the old man's gossip he wondered if the little urchin was the beggar-boy whom he left dressed in his own garments in the palace it did not seem possible that this could be for surely his manners and speech would betray him if he pretended to be the prince of wales then he would be driven out and search made for the true prince could it be that the court had set up some sprig of the nobility in his place no for his uncle would not allow that he was all-powerful and could and would crush such a movement of course the boy's musings profited him nothing the more he tried to unriddle the mystery the more perplexed he became the more his head ached and the worse he slept his impatience to get to london grew hourly and his captivity became almost unendurable hendon's arts all failed with the king he could not be comforted but a couple of women who were chained near him succeeded better under their gentle ministrations he found peace and learned a degree of patience he was very grateful and came to love them dearly and to delight in the sweet and soothing influence of their presence he asked them why they were in prison and when they said they were baptists he smiled and inquired is that a crime to be shut up for in a prison now i grieve for i shall lose ye they will not keep ye long for such a little thing they did not answer and something in their faces made him uneasy he said eagerly you do not speak be good to me and tell me 
there will be no other punishment prithee tell me there is no fear of that they tried to change the topic but his fears were aroused and he pursued it will they scourge thee no no they would not be so cruel say they would not come they will not will they the women betrayed confusion and distress but there was no avoiding an answer so one of them said in a voice choked with emotion oh thou'lt break our hearts thou gentle spirit god will help us to bear our it is a confession the king broke in then they will scourge thee the stony-hearted wretches but oh thou must not weep i cannot bear it keep up thy courage i shall come to my own in time to save thee from this bitter thing and i will do it when the king awoke in the morning the women were gone they are saved he said joyfully then added despondently but woe is me for they were my comforters each of them had left a shred of ribbon pinned to his clothing in token of remembrance he said he would keep these things always and that soon he would seek out these dear friends of his and take them under his protection just then the jailer came in with some subordinates and commanded that the prisoners be conducted to the jail-yard the king was overjoyed it would be a blessed thing to see the blue sky and breathe the fresh air once more he fretted and chafed at the slowness of the officers but his turn came at last and he was released from his staple and ordered to follow the other prisoners with hendon the court or quadrangle was stone paved and open to the sky the prisoners entered it through a massive archway of masonry and were placed in file standing with their backs against the wall a rope was stretched in front of them and they were also guarded by their officers it was a chill and lowering morning and a light snow which had fallen during the night whitened the great empty space and added to the general dismalness of its aspect now and then a wintry wind shivered through the place and sent the snow eddying hither and thither in the centre of the court stood two women chained to posts a glance showed the king that these were his good friends he shuddered and said to himself alack they are not gone free as i had thought to think that such as these should know the lash in england ay there's the shame of it not in heathenness christian england they will be scourged and i whom they have comforted and kindly entreated must look on and see the great wrong done it is strange so strange that i the very source of power in this broad realm am helpless to protect them but let these miscreants look well to themselves for there is a day coming when i will require of them a heavy reckoning for this work for every blow they strike now they shall feel a hundred then a great gate swung open and a crowd of citizens poured in they flocked around the two women and hid them from the king's view a clergyman entered and passed through the crowd and he also was hidden the king now heard talking back and forth as if questions were being asked and answered but he could not make out what was said next there was a deal of bustle and preparation and much passing and repassing of officials through that part of the crowd that stood on the further side of the women and whilst this proceeded a deep hush gradually fell upon the people now by command the masses parted and fell aside and the king saw a spectacle that froze the marrows in his bones faggots had been piled about the two women and a kneeling man was lighting them the women bowed their heads and covered their faces with their hands 
the yellow flames began to climb upward among the snapping and crackling faggots and wreaths of blue smoke to stream away on the wind the clergyman lifted his hands and began a prayer just then two young girls came flying through the great gate uttering piercing screams and threw themselves upon the women at the stake instantly they were torn away by the officers and one of them was kept in a tight grip but the other broke loose saying she would die with her mother and before she could be stopped she had flung her arms about her mother's neck again she was torn away once more with her gown on fire two or three men held her and the burning portion of her gown was snatched off and thrown flaming aside she struggled all the while to free herself and saying she would be alone in the world now and begging to be allowed to die with her mother both the girls screamed continually and fought for freedom but suddenly this tumult was drowned under a volley of heart-piercing shrieks of mortal agony the king glanced from the frantic girls to the stake then turned away and leaned his ashen face against the wall and looked no more he said that which i have seen in that one little moment will never go out from my memory but will abide there and i shall see it all the days and dream of it all the nights till i die would god i had been blind hendon was watching the king he said to himself with satisfaction his disorder mendeth he hath changed and groweth gentler if he had followed his wont he would have stormed at these varlets and said he was king and commanded that the women be turned loose unscathed soon his delusion will pass away and be forgotten and his poor mind will be whole again god speed the day that same day several prisoners were brought in to remain overnight who were being conveyed under guard to various places in the kingdom to undergo punishment for crimes committed the king conversed with these he had made it a point from the beginning to instruct himself for the kingly office by questioning prisoners whenever the opportunity offered and the tale of their woes wrung his heart one of them was a poor half-witted woman who had stolen a yard or two of cloth from a weaver she was to be hanged for it another was a man who had been accused of stealing a horse he said the proof had failed and he had imagined that he was safe from the halter but no he was free hardly before he was arraigned for killing a deer in the king's park this was proved against him and now he was on his way to the gallows there was a tradesman's apprentice whose case particularly distressed the king this youth said he found a hawk one evening that had escaped from its owner and he took it home with him imagining himself entitled to it but the court convicted him of stealing it and sentenced him to death the king was furious over these inhumanities and wanted hendon to break jail and fly with him to westminster so that he could mount his throne and hold out his sceptre in mercy over these unfortunate people and save their lives poor child sighed hendon these woeful tales have brought his malady upon him again alack but for this evil hap he would have been well in a little time among these prisoners was an old lawyer a man with a strong face and a dauntless mien three years past he had written a pamphlet against the lord chancellor accusing him of injustice and had been punished for it by the loss of his ears in the pillory and degraded from the bar and in addition had been fined three thousand pounds and sentenced to imprisonment for life lately he had repeated his offence 
and in consequence was now under sentence to lose what remained of his ears pay a fine of five thousand pounds be branded on both cheeks and remain in prison for life these be honourable scars he said and turned back his grey hair and showed the mutilated stubs of what had once been his ears the king's eye burned with passion he said none believe in me neither wilt thou but no matter within the compass of a month thou shalt be free and more the laws that have dishonoured thee and shamed the english name shall be swept from the statute books the world is made wrong kings should go to school to their own laws at times and so learn mercy end of chapter twenty seven recording by dion gines salt lake city utah